0: Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm Kyle Ritchie, the host of the Planet Comedy Podcast, and I am joined by a, a very, you know, I'm a, obviously aspiring comedian, owner-operator here. I'm joined by a, a, a great guest, someone that was sent my way through, I can't, I don't know who they, who they are from, those people that are connecting me with you guys, like what podcast company they're from, but. <clears throat> Mr. Dan York, an entrepreneur and painter, joins the podcast today, joins the show. Say hello to the people, Dan.
1: Hey, everybody, and thanks for having me on, Kyle.
0: Obviously, no problem. Uh, you're, he's here through Zoom, as you are in Nashville, if I'm right. correct, right? And In
1: Nashville,
0: oh, that's right. Nash Vegas, as they call it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they try to get rid of that term, but it's going to be impossible with how the city is turning out.
0: No, it's, I mean, especially as much as everybody called it that for like the last four or five years. Are they trying to get rid of that now?
1: You know, I don't think that that's the mayor or the PR positioning that these guys want for the city necessarily. But I mean, if you go downtown to Party Central, it's, dude, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's thousands of people there on a, you know, Friday and Saturday night. And there's like, it is big time Party Central and you know you're stepping over barf and piss and you know <laughs> it's definitely becoming like downtown yeah, vegas sounds like vegas to
0: me yeah uh I've, I've never been to vegas i've been to miami and miami was like that there were just
1: people yeah. everywhere yeah miami's cool i mean there are, every city i like all those cities you know i like nashville a lot i like vegas i like miami but vegas when you go down onto the strip you know it's you know it's the strip i mean it's it, let's just say it's alive with everything, and downtown Nashville is becoming that. But ours is only like in a, in a few blocks. It's only, it's kind of segregated to a few blocks, and then you kind of go outside of that, and you just get into more of the, like the old school Nashville, even though that's exploding too. The whole city's exploding. Yeah. I but know. yeah, that's where I live.
0: Old Nashville. Uh, s- yeah. So explain for the people who listen to my show. Like, I. I can't really wrap my brain around what you do. I know you work with cryptocurrency and I know that's kind of the – like your big thing or the agencies you founded. But kind of explain to the best of your abilities in simple terms for people you know,
1: who haven't done as much research as me what you do slash did for a living. Well, what I do, I mean, I'm an artist, first and foremost, and an entrepreneur, um, right along with that. And with with regard to crypto, I wouldn't put myself in some category as some like crypto guru, but I'm certainly knowledgeable on the subject. And I've definitely played in the subject for years. Um, but, you know, artist and entrepreneur is what I categorize myself as for sure. And with painting, contemporary art, with business um really i would say my modern forte is pr and marketing it's it's really where my sweet spot has become sort of by accident as you do with any career
0: yeah uh pr and marketing i i took a couple of pr classes in college and to, and to me it always seemed very stressful like a very stressful job public relations to kind of be the buffer mm-hmm. between either a company <laughs> or yeah. a person
1: and the public so
0: I feel like that's a...
1: I, I guess it depends on who you're managing, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's true. You know, if you're if you're working like doing like PR and branding for like companies, that's probably pretty low stress, but you gotta be pretty creative. I mean, if you were PR for maybe like uh, I don't know, Lady Gaga, I'm sure your life is pretty exciting and you're always playing damage control and doing reputation management and I'm sure that it's I'm sure that it gets pretty crazy.
0: So are do you are you more of like a public relations marketing person for like a corporate realm? Where do you function? Are you more like Big yeah, company. pretty much. I mean,
1: we we just do, we like, we'll do, like, marketing and stuff like that with uh, the company that I have for businesses. Yeah. So it's, we're not really working with, like, celebrities or anything like that. It's mostly just business to business stuff, B2B, as they say in the biz. B2B. <laughs> B2B. Yeah. B2B. So
0: are you, like, you work with big corporations, like, you know, like your, class, like, Walmarts and stuff like that? Or is it more, like, more smaller, kind mm-hmm. of localized stuff?
1: Yeah. Local. Um, you know medium to larger businesses not businesses that are too small you know um but yeah once once people get too small they don't really have a need for it um our people that we tend to work with all like have budgets and you know but then there's also as a company gets too big um you know they might have their own departments doing what we do so we try to stay internal with you know kind of our sweet spot
0: Sounds interesting. So you're living in Nashville, if we can transition back mm-hmm. to more of questions about you <laughs> before we dive yeah. real deep into the whole marketing and art thing. But you were born in Chicago.
1: Yes. Born and raised there, lived there for 30, 30 years or so.
0: So you are a, you know, obviously natural Midwesterner like myself as I was born and raised here in Indiana.
1: Oh, where in Indiana?
0: Uh, super small town, about 30 minutes outside of Louisville, Kentucky.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah no, I probably haven't heard of it, but I drive through Louisville a lot. I mean, yeah, Chicago is kind of home, always will be home. I'm definitely more of a Chicago personality than a Nashville personality. But Nashville is definitely not... Um, Nashville is probably people I'm sure remember. it. At least that's what I hear from the locals. It's a hodgepodge. Like, everybody's moving here from all over the country. They have, like quotes where there's like 150 people moving here a day the um the construction explosion here is it's incredible actually so so you know most people that live downtown or in some of the neighborhoods like midtown or germantown or something like that they're you don't really run into that many real nashvillians they're sort of becoming an anomaly well it's downtown also, anyway
0: i would assume it's the explosion of just tennessee kind of in general is just a it's kind of like phoenix like you just have so many yeah. people from so many different places that there really are no, you know, as you would call them, locals
1: to the area. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of is that way. And it's pretty funny because you, you kind of get into the migration, you know, of like, why? And like, I go back up to Chicago. I miss it. I mean, but it is cold and some people bitch about the cold and all that stuff. But I'm like, is that really a reason to move your whole life and family? Maybe it is if you're elderly or something like that. So it's, I'm sure there's, you know reasons for it over the last few years that i'm sure have sparked people's interests and maybe antagonized them in some in certain ways and they're like we're out of here you know we're going south
0: yeah <clears throat> i think for a lot of people it's the cold it's obviously like with explosion like with big cities like nashville that you know those giant metropolitan areas present a lot of business opportunities for people or career mm-hmm. advancement opportunities i think when you have a a city suddenly
1: boom like that yeah which, yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you one funny thing. There's kind of a joke here that, you know, you're either a nurse or a songwriter. And that is <laughs> funny because there's so many nurses here and medical. I, I had no idea before I moved here that medical is massive here. And so there's all these nurses really? everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a huge medical center and there's just all these doctors and nurses everywhere and then the uh, of course the the music business this was the heart of the country music but it's not really just country music anymore it's really gotten into everything else so you've got all the you know publishing companies there's music row which is all the old heart of the music business and but the rock scene's actually getting pretty good here and even some of the runoff from Atlanta's movie business has started to move here so you're getting tv shows here there's actors that you see here it's really, you know, it's really coming of age from a real small town to um to it's funny. It's not I would never call it a big city, but it's it's come, becoming more of a real city in the sense that I would see it. And yeah, it's funny because you, you've heard of the uh, six degrees of separation in Nashville. I like to joke that it's a fucking two degree separation here. Like if you know somebody, they know somebody that, you know, so it's still very much like a small town. Like if you date somebody, you know. They know somebody who dated somebody else that you dated, or if you know this guy, oh I know that guy too. It's it's really that kind of a small town. Whereas like in Chicago, you know, you could live there in a neighborhood and not know somebody for your entire life two neighborhoods away. It's pretty wild.
0: That's a interesting thing. I've I have never been to Nashville, but I've all like having watched its kind of evolution from you know, what I would say it was just kind of a small pocketed area. Obviously, like you said, it's always been the heart of country music which that's uh, a big thing, but it was never what it is like today. And to hear mm-hmm. you say that it's still even today after all of that growth and booming business, still kind of like, you know, a town where everybody knows everybody.
1: That's Oh, yeah, totally. It, it really is. I mean, what was it, like a, a month ago? I went on uh, maybe two months ago or something like that. I went on a date with this girl, and she showed me this photo, and in the photo is – Another girl that I knew from an earlier girl that I had dated three years ago, you know what I mean That kind of stuff happens all the time or you'll be talking to somebody uh, on the street you know and they'll bring up some aspect or some some uh, business connection they have, and it's somebody that you just had lunch with. it's really it's really is a small town that way, um, which doesn't really look like it, but when you go downtown, dude, like the the um the party central, it's almost all tourists down there. You know, there's not a ton of locals that go hang out in Broadway and when they do, it's because they got friends in town or they got family in town and then they go hang out there. So I'm sure you wouldn't experience that there. That's true. I mean mm-hmm.
0: God, that's so fascinating. That's such a fascinating city to live in, I feel like. Because you
1: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. I, I will tell you though, it's it's a different vibe, you know. And you know, there's different cities like DC or New York or Chicago. They just have this old established vibe you know you just go there and it just feels older and it feels more established and it feels more cultured just walking in it and um the city doesn't feel like that to me yet it does have a vibe but even the vibe in the last you know eight years or so has really really changed i mean downtown in certain parts doesn't even look like how it did in eight years because they just keep bulldozing in entire neighborhoods and all this all these developers are coming in just gentrifying everything throwing up you know miniature skyscrapers everywhere so it's the uh, the vibe is very different too you know
0: yeah it probably feels a lot more artificial than somewhere like chicago which is you know one of may probably like one of the oldest cities in the country and yeah. there has been building standing there forever whereas in nashville like you said it just feels like in the last 6 7 years all this shit has just popped up out of nowhere like a city just sprung mm. up from the earth
1: it is kind of that way. There's a, there's one of the best pizza shop in town, uh, pizza places in town. There's not much great pizza here, by the way. Coming from a Chicago guy who has a good opinion of that. That's true. Um, but there is a New York place across the street called Manny's. All right. And he's been there for like 35 years. And we were talking one day and he was telling me that on Broadway, which is party central and a building there sells for like $40 million now. I mean, crazy amounts of money. And he was telling me that they were going to buy a building on Broadway in 1985 or 86 for about a half a million dollars. But in those days, nobody even went to Broadway. Like it was like strip clubs and corner shops and like nobody would even go there. Damn. And Yeah. And so now, you know, they're, you know, like one of the buildings downtown just sold for $39 million and all these country music stars and Kid Rock and all these guys buy these buildings, turn them into multi-level party centers and with rooftop clubs and all that. And then they just cash flow like pigs out of those. So it's, it's really become that, which is losing a little bit of a, of its quaintness because there was all these like yeah. old shops, like Ernest Tubbs record shop, which I think is now closing. And a lot of these other old shops are closing and, um, you know, they'll put in a Garth Brooks bar. You know what I mean? So it's becoming a, a very touristy. And yeah. I think the locals hate that a lot. I think they prefer the quaint. Old Nashville.
0: Well that's what I was gonna say as someone I, I don't how long have you lived in Nashville?
1: Eleven years probably.
0: Which by the way, I can
1: assume are you uh are you a hockey guy?
0: No, I'm not I'm not
1: I'm basically a sports tard. Really? Um, yeah, I'm a very much a music and art guy. You know, I can tell you band members from all these bands hip-hop groups whatever for probably the last 40 years but you know if somebody's like oh, who is this team that was in the <laughs> world series i'd be like i have no idea well then I was about to say you
0: don't have to answer my question because i figured as someone who lives in nashville you could you would be stuck right between the whole blackhawks and predators thing
1: no i mean you do see it obviously you'll you'll go downtown and there'll be like you know a thousand people with you know yellow shirts on you're like oh it must be a hockey game but if you ever wanted to know the lineup changes for the smashing pumpkins since you know the early 90s i can tell you that though. i mean hey i would be super into that actually <laughs> that's a super interesting discussion
0: to me one of those guys Yeah, i just
1: i actually just saw them um a month and a half ago
0: does uh is billy corgan still sing with them
1: yeah i mean they're and they were they kill do
0: they I mean, really I think still they're
1: tighter now than they oh they murder yeah, I just saw them on tour with um, Jane's Addiction, and Jane's Addiction was pretty much the original lineup of guys, except for um Navarro, I guess, was six, so they brought in Queens of the Stone Age guitarist, who's phenomenal also. And they opened, and that was amazing, but Corgan and his band now, I mean, it's almost the original lineup um darcy's not there anymore and they've got um a guy he's been playing with for 20 years in guitar who's a great guitar player and then they got this this bass player who's so cool because he just he doesn't look like he fits in the band really he he wears like you know adidas shoes and a polo shirt yeah and the rest of the band is all like gothed out right or like really dressed up and he just kind of comes out like some dude it's a new dude he's a great bass player he's yeah, he just chills, and he just doesn't look like part of the band, but he's a great bass player. He's got a great sound. But the Pumpkins are super tight, and and um, their new music is great. So anyway, I could talk about those guys for a long time.
0: I have never seen uh, the Pumpkins in, in concert. I've seen Jane's Addiction. I've seen them, I believe, at Louder Than Life down in Louisville at some point. They were there.
1: What year was that?
0: I want to say 2015-ish area.
1: Yeah, I wonder what lineup they had back then.
0: I have no idea if I would assume not the original group of guys. Yeah. If, if...
1: Yeah, it was kind of cool seeing the original group of guys cuz the the base the base in the late 80s early 90s stuff was so intrinsic to what they were developing and to have him back on stage it was just cool, man. It was yeah. very cool. Not that I don't think lineup members changing is a a, a bad thing sometimes, but it's sometimes cool to see no. those original dudes out there.
0: No, but you get that a lot when you have those like the like, the festivals, you'll have a lot of bands. Like, I, I've seen Slash, but I don't know that I, I've only seen him once with Guns N' Roses at one of those things.
1: Was he any good on his own? I've never seen him on his own. He had...
0: The band he was with was uh, Miles Kennedy and, God, I, what was their name? The uh, Velvet Revolver. And they were on Oh, around. that would have been cool. They were pretty good. But he, yeah. by himself, was pretty solid. I mean, he's Slash, so it was... It was pretty archivist. Yeah, when is Slash not
1: solid. Yeah, when it, I don't know at the time anyone's <laughs> ever
0: seen Slash and been like, ah, eh, it, was, it wasn't great, but it was it was pretty good. He had a good band with
1: him. You know, what's funny is I just saw um, in the first week of December here, I just went to go see Tom York's new band, uh, him and Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead have a new band called The Smile. And they, I forget what the drummer's name is, but he's this incredible jazz drummer. And it's, it's a really great album, and it really reminds me, uh, for any Radiohead fans, the In Rainbows album, but more jazzy. Um, you know, it's still got the kind of Tom York, Johnny Greenwood ethereal thing going. But we, I saw that at the Ryman, and that was really good. But Tom is so funny because he's such a, a talented performer. But what, he'll, what he did on stage here in Nashville is, you know, he he gets into the microphone, and everybody's like cheering and stuff, and he goes, so... Uh, I hear Nashville's getting pretty wild these days, <laughs> and then he goes, "That's all I'm gonna say." That was like that was like the majority of his talking through the entire show. I thought it was the funniest thing. That's the only thing he says to us, you know. I think things are seeming to get pretty rowdy here. Yeah, and then he's like, "That's it. That's enough from me.
0: Back okay. to the songs. Back to the music. I respect that. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good musician." He's like, "I'll just let the the music speak for itself." And yeah, he- totally. So being in Nashville and being like – obviously being in a you know marketing firm and being around, I would assume, rather wealthy people, do you ever rub shoulders with any one real off the chain famous like country music star-wise? Sure. I would assume is probably the more common yeah, people mean, you see.
1: I mean I don't know that there's common people that you see, but you definitely bump into celebrities here and – um and not just people that live here either you know because it's there's people that come here for from all over the united states to just kind of hang out there's anti-paparazzi laws here really so that's the first time i've
0: ever heard that
1: yeah so i didn't know that but i always used to wonder like you know one time i was sitting in the i was sitting in a uh, coffee shop in a neighborhood called 12 south and there's a very big country singer there and she was just sitting there with her friend and nobody was bugging her and nobody's taking photos and and the lady that I was working, that I was there with, worked for a different PR agency there, and she's like, "Yeah, that's because we have anti-paparazzi laws. Nobody, nobody bugs these people." And I was like, "Oh, that explains that." You know, one time I was on downtown Broadway, um, and this guy comes, this big giant guy with, with all this hair comes bopping across the middle of the road, which they don't really allow that much anymore because it gets so busy. And I look at him, and I was like, "God damn, that's Russell Brand." And, you know, <laughs> Just just hanging out, you know what I mean.
0: Just running across the road.
1: He was just running ac- by himself, just running across the road by himself in front of all the cars. I was like, ah, oh, up, Russell. Well, it's probably nice to see them in an environment
0: where there are anti paparazzi. Because you, I really do think pe- it, people forget that these are just people in a lot of ways. <clears throat> like most of your celebrities are just human beings who have a job who happen to do a really cool job, admittedly,
1: but a really demanding job. Mhm. Yeah, and, and it's funny cuz you'll see a lot of these guys and they're very um I mean they it, it's not like they dress up when they go out, you know, when they get on stage, sometimes these people look like completely different characters, you know? And yeah. then when they dress down, I mean they just they're like me and you wearing hats and t-shirts and hoodies and you would never even know it's them. And some people <clears> do obviously cuz you'll see people like pointing or whatever, but but yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty chill city from that perspective and I think that makes it appealing.
0: Well, I'm sure the, the surreal moment when you're able, to, like when you're close enough and you are able to recognize a celebrity and you're just like, whoa, that's." Yeah. Kinda, <clears throat> I'm sure that you kind of have to give people that. But other than that, I feel like most people, like regular people, are pretty relaxed around anybody. And I'm sure in a city like Nashville yeah. where they are, it seems like, I mean, I've been to Tennessee a lot. I've never been to Nashville, but I've like... I've been to a lot of University of Tennessee games in Knoxville. and So the people of Tennessee, they seem very reserved. Like they're a very reserved kind of private people. Mm. So I could see yeah, where I, they would give you your
1: privacy if you were a celebrity. They'd be more apt. I think the they privacy. do. I mean, I've seen quite a bit of that where they just don't mess with them. Probably the closest I've seen them messing with anyone, which they really didn't, was one time I went into a Starbucks and, and Keith Urban walks in right behind me. Uh, yeah, you know? of course. And every woman in that place was like sweating. I'm telling you, they were all, all their knees were knocking. They were all sweating. They're like, oh my God, it's Keith. And I'm like looking around and going, like, what the hell is going on? I look behind me, it's Keith. And I was like, oh. It's like, oh, Keith Urban's here. Okay. <laughs> <fair laughs> so, no, no, like, I get it. Yeah. You know, I, was, I thought I was being flattered for a second. I thought they were all like sweating because of me. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, In your mind, you're like, yeah, I've been working out. And then <laughs> Keith <know>. Urban rolls <laughs> up behind you...
0: you and you're like, you
1: bastard. I know. I've, I've, I just lost thirty pounds. I can see you guys can tell. Yeah. Oh, it's Keith, son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I understand Keith Urban is a. That's a wonderful man, but.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I could never. I, they seem seem like Nashville is a pretty relaxed place, and especially a lot different from Chicago. But having grown up in the Midwest, I obviously love it here. And I also grew up. I've grown up in Indiana. I wasn't born here. I was born in born here and then moved to south carolina tr- like right outside of charleston immediately mm. so i have a deep love and affection for both the south and the
1: midwest mm-hmm. yeah so do i they're my preferred places to live i mean i could live here easily i do florida i could do charleston i don't, don't have that much experience with but i've hung up there a few times and it was pretty cool to me it's like a really clean like new orleans vibe yeah, you it's, know, it's like that kind of old city. It's waterlogged all over the place. Great restaurants, but just way cleaner than New Orleans.
0: Yeah, it's that's pretty much the vibe I always get. Like having lived there, is that that's kind of what they aim for? Is a a cleaner, more kind of habitable New Orleans in mm. Louisiana, which is nice. I I love South Carolina, and I would I would love to either live there or. I actually do i have grown to love living here. I don't like the cold. I don't enjoy that as much anymore.
1: Yeah. I, it's so funny living in the South for so long. You get some winter here. Not really, but I kind of miss the cold. Like I miss sledding. I miss, I miss shoveling snow. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh, you're insane. I'm like, I miss it. I miss all the snow. I don't miss it ruining my shoes because if Uh, you wear dress shoes in the winter, like the the salt gets into the leather and fucks up your shoes. And you know, I don't miss that kind of stuff. Now,
0: uh, I get what you're saying, just because like I just got engaged uh, and my fiance, she has two kids, and I don't have any children before that. So like getting to see them like playing the snow and stuff like that, that's pretty cool. So I've understood more recently, like why people enjoy the snow and like, the, like the cold. Mm. I do think it builds character. I mean, you know, I do think there is something to be said about, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it like, like learning how to drive in it. Yeah. If you, yeah. It, you've it, never just been at the mercy of some black ice, I'm like, I don't know that I trust you fully 100% with my life in your hands. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when I first moved, when I first moved here in maybe 2010 or 2011, they had a pretty rough uh, storm come through. It was like a, probably the worst winter I've seen here ever since. But you know, coming from Chicago, you know how to drive in that stuff, whether you're in a front wheel drive, stick shift, rear wheel whatever. I mean, you know how to drive in that black ice snow here. They didn't know that. Apparently, at that year, there was like 30 snow plow trucks and salt trucks for the entirety of the state. And so one time my ex-wife and I were driving down this highway. And I'm telling you, dude, it was like dust. I mean, it was like dust snow. Oh god. And these people were like flying off the fucking road, going down the culverts. And and my wife looks at me at the time and goes. Is it icy or slippery? I go, no, not at all. It's nice. It's really not that <laughs> we bad just out couldn't figure. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what the, I don't know what all these people's problems are.
0: <laughs> I'm just not used to it. It's like my watching my cousins who are both from South Carolina. Like, I mm-hmm. took off with them one time when they came up here, and I was like 20 in a car, and they watched me just kill it in this. snow, and they're like, "How do you do that?" I was like, "I've been driving in this since I've learned how to drive. Like, this is I'm used to it." And even then, like watching them try to like, – because we had a stick shift. Or no, uh, I had a – it was an old, like super old truck, but I can't remember what it was. My dad had it. And we were just pulling through a field, and watching them try to drive anything in the snow was hysterically funny because it was just like they didn't understand that you had to slow down real hard for turns and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah. if, you,
0: you know, if you don't slow down, the minute you try to turn, you're going to lose control of the car, right? Right.
1: Well, there's a lesson for all of your listeners. If you guys really want to learn how to drive in that stuff, go go and find a big like empty Kmart parking lot that's out of business, and just go beat the shit out of your car in the parking lot. Do donuts, slam on the brakes. You learn real fast what works and doesn't, and it's and it's a lot of fun. Another yeah. great thing we used to do as kids was we used to sketch. And you'd take somebody's car and you all hold on to the bumpers. This is when cars still had bumpers, by the way, because we, we all were broke. So we'd drive all these shitty 80 cars with the steel bumpers. Hell yeah. Put on your gloves and, and you'd ski behind the car down the street. So it was a riot. Oh, yeah. Well, my,
0: my dad actually did do that with the truck and the field. So everyone, uh, my fiance always says. How that. do you do that with
1: a truck and a field? Like
0: you just, I got he tied it to, what was it? the, I think it was still on a bumper. And they just tied it to the bumper, like tied them both to the bumper
1: and took off so you guys just you guys are sketching on like dirt and yeah. grass
0: yeah I mean the snow was, oh wow the snow was thick enough I can't remember how well, it was a one time thing like the snow was thick and it was like six seven inches so it really was mm. nothing but snow but I wasn't there I missed this adventure
1: yeah that sounds like a good time the only thing you had to watch for when we used to do that in the Chicago streets were the potholes because obviously the streets are terrible there so if you sketch into a pothole you know you gotta be careful oh god yeah, yeah that's
0: true i never thought about the pot uh, the potholes are always super dangerous anytime you did anything
1: yeah same here. I've, yeah one time i was i was uh in this one office and it was snowing and sleeting and so at this time i had this old shitty honda civic that i was driving around and the the um the tire had gone flat so I'm sitting there changing the tire in the pitch black with sleet. Of course, my plumber's ass crack was hanging out. So there's, so there's sleet going down my crack. You know, I'm changing the tire and then I put on this donut spare. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm ready to go. So I'm cruising down the street. It's all snow and slush and there's nobody on the road at this time, which was fine. But, and so I'm going down. And I'm think I only lived like 15 miles away. So I was like, all right, well, I'll cruise my car down the road. And then I, I should you not, as soon as I pull out of the parking lot, I hit a pothole. Like twenty feet away from where I had to change my tire, I hit the pothole on the donut. It blew the fucking donut. Oh my and I, god! So then I was like, I was like, son of a bitch, you know. I mean, that's the kind of shit that, you know, you real really deal with in the city where you're like, all right. And then you end up towing it home. I was trying to save the two hundred dollar tow. I was like, well, so much for that.
0: That's the worst. You end up having to spend the money after all that hard work. You're just like, I know well, all
1: that-, that hard work exactly. Now
0: I'm just sweaty and angry. I know, and wet and yeah. cold, right? Ruined my shoes again. <laughs> yeah, ruining the shoes is the worst. Snow is so hard yeah. on the shoes, so super yeah. hard on the shoes. So, what was uh, what was it like to grow up in Chicago, though? I feel like that's interesting because it's a big. It was know, cool. That's a relatively large city to grow up in to spend your childhood in.
1: Yeah, I didn't really grow up in the city. I more like moved in and out of it yeah. for 30 years. But I basically grew up, if you go into the northwest suburbs, which is what we called it, um, into the Chain of Lakes. There was a little town called Round Lake Beach, which is a little beach town. And and it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, there wasn't a lot of money there, but, you know, you had cool friends. And it was the 80s and 90s. You cruised around on your bikes, and none of us had cars, and none of us really had that much money. So, you know, hang out, smoke cigarettes, play video games, make good friends relatively normal childhood pretty much yeah and you know we had our problems in our towns like drugs and you know some violence and some gang stuff but i think that's every town these days and, yeah it's pretty much anywhere. but it was um yeah it's pretty much anywhere um but it was kind of like small suburb growing up and you got bored and you, you kind of occupied your attention with anything that you could figure out some was good some was not so good <laughs>
0: well obviously you <laughs> occupied your attention with art which is the yeah. the big thing you're into? What mm-hmm. what when did you first get drawn into like painting and like artistic stuff like that? Like was it drawing? Like, did you take an art class in high school and you just were like, wow,
1: this I really. Yeah. I mean, it was just I I think it was in seventh grade or second grade, and um, I was I just did this. We were doing this drawing um, for I think it was like under it was like underwater sea creatures, you know. And I just drew all these sea creatures and pasted together all this paper and sort of made a poster. And everybody in the class was like, damn, that's really good. And I was like, it is? I thought it looked like shit. But everybody else was like, wow, that's really good. And the teacher posted it up on the board. And and that was really the start of it right there. I was just like, oh, apparently I'm not too bad at this. And then I just got better and better. And and eventually, you know, you're starting to get into what you, you like to do, which my stuff was always sort of off the wall and weird, like. Um, like if you go to my Instagram, I even post some things that I was doing when I was like 11, 12 years old. Like I, I did a portrait of Ozzy Osbourne in fifth grade. That, that's what I chose to do for my art project, right? A portrait um, of Ozzy Osbourne. A, a portrait of Ozzy, you know?
0: What a, and, what a, first off, how proud your parents must have been. I would have been like, what a child.
1: You know, I don't think they were that proud. My mom was a practicing Mormon and my dad was an old Navy guy. So like if we played Pink Floyd... You know, he'd walk in and be like, you know, this stuff is, you know, going to rot your brain. Kind of, you know, they were great people, but they weren't really into that whole the super proxy. old, maybe
0: very old school, very old-fashioned, old traditional people.
1: Yeah, but I think maybe my older brother and sister would be like, dude, that's cool. Yeah, you know, that's, so... that's lit, dude. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You know, and I'd do pictures of like aliens and stuff like that in fourth or fifth grade because I'm always I'm very much into the paranormal and aliens and UFOs and ghosts and all you know, cryptozoology and all that stuff. So it, it was, you know, I was always doing that kind of shit. And, uh, but it did morph into a style back then that weirdly stayed from when I was a kid all the way through, uh you know, now onto adulthood.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, I Like I said, looking at some of your paintings, first off, I, I'll have to be honest with you. I am not artistically inclined in any way, shape or form, at least when it comes to drawing and painting. Now I was mm. always a pretty good, like creative writer and stuff like that, but I was never very good at a drawer or a... And I find it fascinating. People who have the ability to just think something, think of something in their mind, and make it happen on a canvas. Mm. And some of the paintings behind you, I'm just like, wow, those are really impressive.
1: Yeah, and some of those are. Well, I mean, this is my, this is my loft studio now. Yeah. So, I mean... right, you know, like that one right there is in, in progress. I just. There's some glazing layers on there, and that'll start to develop over time. Because some of it, sometimes you gotta. You'll notice she's all red, so I glazed a layer of red as the undertone of her skin. She's a white woman, so you'll, you'll see, like, like like me, there's undertones of red. So I glazed that, and it'll start to build out. Um That one's these. I mean, these. Some of these are done. This, you know. That one right there. That's done. That's my old family photo. I didn't paint that right there, but <gasps> that's my little family <laughs> photo. That's an old family photo of me with my family from like nineteen eighty six or something. Nineteen eighty six.
0: So
1: I would say, so you are just,
0: uh, before uh, practicing artist. I would say you sell these paintings, correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, where is where do people find your art? Where do people find
1: your stuff besides your Instagram? obviously digitally i mean that's digitally. pretty much it online and digitally you know and and i would say that most of your art gets sold through just simple networking meeting people it's weird it's weird the people that buy your stuff sometimes you know um you know you might connect with somebody over a, a stupid hobby or something and then oh you know their wife is an interior decorator in some city or whatever i mean it's just you'll you'll find weird connections that tend to build out and then um, but there's, there's been marketing things that I've done that have produced nothing. And then there's some that do pretty well. So it's, it's, it's like any business though. I mean, art and music and, you know, yeah. using Billy is his Billy Corgan from the pumpkins. You know, that guy promotes like crazy himself, yeah, you know, and then true. he buys, he buys a whole wrestling, uh, thing. I forget what it's called. The NWA. W's, the NWA. He buys this whole wrestling thing and he promotes this, you know, so you just got to promote and promote and promote. And eventually you start running into things that um connect you with an audience that buys and, and sometimes like I used to have a gallery downtown before they they just sold the building across the street and they're renovating now, but I used to have a gallery downtown here, and it never sold anything, but got a lot of exposure, a lot of interesting comments, a lot of interesting feedback that you can think with. So it's, you know, just a lot of trial and error, like any other business, finding who's buying what and why. Sounds like an interesting business. So you, well, it's probably similar to what you've done with like, you know, like you're into comedy, you're into acting, you're into movie directing and, and all that, you know, like, why it's, it's kind of like uh, the Shawshank Redemption, you know, when the Shawshank Redemption came out, it wasn't a big blockbuster. It didn't make that much money. No. And now it's like one of the most revered movies in history that plays on cable oh, every yeah. single day in every the, hotel room you're ever in. The
0: amount of people I have told have told me like, oh, my favorite movie ever is the Shawshank Redemption. I'm just like, you basic bitch. <laughs> that's just it's such a yeah but it's you know what it is such a good movie and you're right It when it came out it wasn't one of those movies that everybody just flocked to see and you'll oh. that happens so often you know yeah I mean? it's
1: it's it's just sort of what happens you develop you develop is in in any art to you know finding where you're at where your audience is and and sometimes it takes some time but that's the persistence that wins anything really um I don't know that I've ever met somebody who's like an overnight success. Like in the, in the crypto world, you know, you've got NFTs and the, 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 what I like to call the Andy Warhol of NFT is people. I mean, this guy's selling work for tens of millions of dollars. I mean, he has, I think he's on record for selling the most expensive NFT in history. I think it was like $68 million or something. And, but if you really go look into that guy, he wasn't an overnight success. He was overnight success to maybe me and you because we've never heard of him before that. But yeah. that, guy was doing, that guy was doing digital art and graphic design for, like, I don't know, at least a decade before that. Was... So it, w- it wasn't an overnight success. This guy was persisting through and then, boom, he takes off in whatever industry he's, you know, found himself in, which was NFT art.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, like, the big thing that I always look at is, like, comedians. Like, you know, you do have, like, super success stories like Dave Chappelle, who's doing stuff at, like, 17, 18. But those are anomalies. Yeah. I mean, most guys, when you look mm-hmm. at their careers, it's 10, 15 years of doing, you know, nothing, small clubs and people's backyards and malls. And then you just happen to get on like David Letterman once and people find out who you are and they start asking questions.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like Bill Burr. If you look at Bill Burr, I mean, I'm a big Bill Burr fan. I mean, he's like A-list comedian right now. Oh, on yeah. Everything. He's got shows. He's got, you know, cartoons. He's on, he cycles through Instagram feeds every single day now but you know i mean that guy talks talked about how you know he was out there you know doing shit clubs for no money for a long time before he ever got recognized anywhere near the level he's at now so it's you know and even chappelle i would i would even wonder like you know he was really young doing it but i often wonder like how long was he doing it when he was really young oh yeah you know
0: there's always so, a there's always
1: yeah. a learning curve, and I'm sure he was doing it forever
0: before he anyone ever really saw him. It's just a lot of yeah. persistence, I'm sure, with art. Like a lot of persistence, just like anything, really, anything
1: artistic endeavor. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, but you could do that with any career, sales job, sales guy starts off slinging whatever, eventually gets good, and maybe one day he ends up selling. You know, G fives or something like that. You know, yeah, sure, <laughs> or, or, or whatever. So, you know, I met a sales guy one time who was selling um, networks, cell phone networks. That you know, his sales deals were like a billion dollars each, and you're just like, wow, oh my He's god, like, what are the commissions like? I was like, what are the commissions like on that? That's gonna be crazy. You and, oh and that's where that guy's sales job had grown to.
0: What a What a what a life to live. That would be that sounds stressful to me. <clears throat> I don't think I would want to manage that much money.
1: Yeah, have you ever met anybody who's who who doesn't have stress in the, in their career though? That's very true. <laughs> you know? <I> think anybody <laughs> who get it somewhere. Anybody who's
0: good at anything. I don't know anybody who's good at anything that wasn't at least a little stressed out about what they did.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, um I was watching just to keep on the Chappelle subject. He did a show with um what's that guy? Inside the Actors Guild. I think was a show uh Lipton, James Lipton. James Lipton. And I yeah. think I think James died not too long ago, but he did a show with James Lipton, which I always thought was fascinating because he was talking about the pressure of the success of the Chappelle show. And I guess how the industry, he'd never named his name, but he says the industry really came down and tried to control him. And he was like, I'm out. And that's when he, you know, he fucked off to Africa and everybody said he was nuts. And, and you know, he was explaining his whole side of it.
0: Yeah. So. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I'm sure at those levels of success, not only is there stress and pressure, but insane amounts of stress and pressure because now you're a social icon. So you have to appear a certain way and you have to yeah. act a certain way. You know what I mean?
0: That's what I've always wondered about, like, super famous people like <clears throat> like a Michael Jackson. Like, I don't. I don't know how you would live your a life like that cuz it really is you just feel like every time you go out in public you have to present yourself a certain way you have to act a certain mm-hmm. way you can never really be a human being
1: or hide yourself a certain way you know he used yeah. to go out in disguise all the time he was a, he was like do all these disguises to go to leave his home so he could go out like a normal person you know there's a celebrity i know who i won't name but when they go out they um you know they don't go out in fancy cars you know, they'll go out in like a, a Kia Rio or something like that with tinted windows—a car that has zero suspicion of a celebrity being inside it, just so they can go out and drive around normally. You know, and nobody be and like, it's, "Look, it's, yeah, nobody looks because it's not a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or something like that." Wow. Know? Yeah.
0: So you let's say you paint the Ozzy Osbourne portrait, and how yeah. does <laughs> how does our our career for advance from there? Like, how do you? Is this a lifelong thing? Like you just slowly throughout your life got better and better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, short answer, yeah. I mean, you just, you know, but you go through phases of things, you know. I mean, everybody sort of soul searches, and then you become like an awkward teenager where you know you're partying and smoking weed all the time, and like you know, trying to find yourself. And your my art did really well back then, though, um, in terms of what I. What I considered it being good and then you get a little bit older and you're like well maybe I should do this and maybe I should blend or maybe I should agree or you know and then I would say through my 20s I burned all that off and was like yeah I'm pretty good on that and you start to get back into you again and you know what, what you were trying to do that made you happy first because I, I do think that you know in in any art form if if you're let's say like let's take movies for example if you keep trying to make a new Avengers movie over and over and over and over, you know, you're not going to break any ground. Are you really going to be happy? as the artist who's, you know, directing that, is it going to fulfill you? Probably not. You know, like I'm a big Clinton Tarantino fan. And if you look at every single one of his movies, they're Tarantino movies, but they're different, man. I mean, you go watch hateful eight compared to, uh, True Romance, which he didn't direct, but I mean, he wrote the, the the screenplay. And if you go look at those stories, they're so different and you know so versatile. I mean, it has his mark on it, but does he sit there and be like, okay, I have to do this? So it's the cliche Tarantino marker. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was different than anything he's done in the last oh, yeah. twenty years. One so of different.
0: My favorite movies that's been released in like, yeah. the last five years. I love Once Upon a Time in
1: Hollywood. Yeah, but it didn't have like, and it was a great movie. But it didn't have like if you think about like his early '90s cliche sort of dialogue scenes. Yeah, it didn't. Have, it
0: didn't feel like a Tarantino movie.
1: No, no, and that's what I think is so cool about him is he's he's really just doing his thing, and like his thing is like, all right, well, I'm I don't want to do Quentin Tarantino doing Quentin Tarantino. He's like, I'm just, this is what I want to do, and um, and I, I think that's really healthy for somebody who's in the arts of to to uh, to just get right what they want first and then it's a matter of finding who's going to watch it or buy it or listen to it depending on what you're into and because then you're fulfilled as the artist because otherwise i always sort of make the joke of like these these painters you see in the malls you know they paint the same thing over and over yeah and they're not fulfilled it's a job to them and art art can be a job but it can be a very fulfilling job and it doesn't even matter if you make money at it, because, like, for example, if I if I sit in front of a painting, three hours will go away like that. Like I'm just there, as opposed to if you know, when I used to do like a, like there was a sales job I had 15 years ago, three hours felt it might as well have been three weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's just <laughs> and that's the difference. It, there's such an insane difference
0: when you're doing something that you feel like. Like you said, it just passes the time. You feel fulfilled at it. like Yeah. Like anytime – like for me, like when I was going to school, when I was taking – I can't remember what class I was taking. When I was taking like business classes and stuff like that, I was doing it, all kinds of different stuff. But I was taking my business classes and my public relations, and those classes always felt super long. But anytime I would take like screenwriting, it always felt like th- that class was over in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I and to me, I think that was a big signal to me that I'm just like, well, maybe this is something like I need to look into, even if you can't make an insane amount of money at it at first, you know that you could press on and keep doing.
1: Yeah, me and a good friend of mine, Shannon we talk about this all the time. She's also an artist um, that if let's say that you get so busy for two or three weeks and you don't do any art, okay? those 3 weeks were stressful tougher and then you force putting art back in even if your schedule doesn't permit it and I shit you not your week goes better things go easier money flows easier like it's a really odd phenomenon that we both noticed that you just force in the art and things go better and and it's funny you, you already said it, it's not it's not about the money it's not about having sold something it's about having done it and having that you know aesthetic you know, kind of vibe in back into your life. And it, it's it's an interesting phenomenon that I'd like to hear more artists talk about and if they experience that. Well, it's almost like when you put the
0: things you love, like first, you know, front and center in your life, it makes your life easier and better.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's
0: an insane concept, but I don't think people really think about that because I think the world especially the world we live in today, is so hyper-obsessed with productivity and, like,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: money you can make off stuff and the stuff you can buy and things like that instead of, like, like I think that's why I love movies so much because, you know, the directors I appreciate, people like, you know, Stanley Kubrick and people like Quentin Tarantino or someone like Sam Raimi. A lot of these guys, you wouldn't think of them as, like, the highest-grossing movie of all time, but you think of them because you're like, they do... They make the movies that they want to make,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it is one hundred percent their art. Uh, usually, without anyone else's input or you know, kind of misinterpretation. And I respect that immensely, as opposed to people you know who just who you can tell are clearly doing things to make lots of money.
1: Yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. Like Kubrick's a great example. I've seen um, like one of my favorites from him is Eyes Wide Shut. I've seen it probably 10, 12 times, and 20, I always 20, 20, 20. see new things in there, and it always, you know, provokes new things. But, you know, he was dealing with the A-list of A-list actors in that movie, you know, and even the supporting cast, they were all so good. And the in the way that he directed it was so interesting because, you know, it's not like he was doing like, um, you know, it wasn't like he was going for some hyper-drama effect in some of the – some of the scenes are set up in a weird, cheesy way. Yeah, in a way you – know, they- like
0: they're set up in the way of like classic Hollywood.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, but now, so did that movie, you know, outgross the, the, you know, the, I don't even know what year that was probably 2001 or 1999 or something like that. Yeah. But did that movie outgross the blockbusters of the day? Probably not. But that movie has become Mm -hmm. a hyper iconic movie. I mean, like if you ask anybody in the horror genre, like what are in their top 10 favorite horror movies of all time? The Shining's always in there. Oh, yeah. The Shining's always in people's top sh- ten, but was it a highest-grossing movie of that day, and it became iconic, and that's the difference between, you know, making sure that your artistic vision is, you know, um, executed with your integrity versus, okay, well, you know, this, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer and, you know, who who's who's that one? Roland Emmerich and Jerry Bruckheimer are getting together for the latest space sci-fi. Oh, my God. And, you know, it's going to make money, I guess, but... Nobody's going to remember it in ten years, other than to be like, "Yeah, it was an okay popcorn munching movie at the time." Yeah,
0: well, that's like that's how yeah. I feel anymore about like, like even though I really liked them, the Jurassic Park movies, like yeah. the, the the first one is genuinely a cornerstone of American cinema. It's mm. it is a movie I would suggest to anybody. i like, it's still to this day the greatest special effects I've ever seen in my entire life.
1: Yeah. However, have you seen the have you seen the new Avatar yet? no but i'm intrigued because i
0: i never know how to feel about movies like this because i feel like i'm always intrigued to see how far cgi can come but also i i can't lie and say i like the first avatar movie entirely i'm just like i mean i get it it's a spectacle but there's not a lot underneath of that yeah from that
1: from that perspective though it's pretty cool like you know, the first Avatar was good. You know, it doesn't make my top 25 list or top 30 list yeah. or anywhere near. But it was good. This new one, I was pretty much set up to hate because I am definitely one of the people that goes to the movies. I love going to the movies still. But I'm Same. disappointed, you know, at least nine out of ten times um, with all the new stuff. Because I'm just like, Ugh. you know, OK, another political agenda or another, you know, Another deep message they're trying to deliver to me that I've heard a hundred times. It's so cliche, you know. It's not just good stories anymore with interesting character development and you know great screenplays, and it's it's so much agenda pushed into these fucking movies that it, it kind of ruins the movie for me. But so when I saw my Avatar, I was prepared for that. You know, it is a Disney movie. You know, it's James Cameron, and I, I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised. It was pretty good. But I will tell you this from a special effects perspective. I've never seen anything like it. If you go watch really? that, it's you got to see it in 3D in IMAX, and you just go, "Holy shit!" And it, I think it had like a 480 million dollar budget or something like that. Oh yeah, something and insane. You just, it's the some most some crazy it's, number.
0: It's by far what I read. I, someone sent me an article. It's like by far the most expensive movie ever made or something like that. Something insane. Like, well, when that. you
1: see it, you'll see why it's it's fucking. It's incredible. I I watched the whole thing, just going like, "Holy shit!"
0: Yeah. See, I'm and I
1: kept having, I kept having this thought. I'm like, if they can do this in a movie, they can for sure deep fake me and you in a crime scene.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So every time <laughs> I, know? every time I watch a movie, I'm like, man, some of the shit they can do with this is scary.
1: It's insane. It's so. I mean, this guy is creating this environment that looks so real, and these close up of these aliens with sweat and you know water coming out of pores. You're just like, holy shit. You know, I mean. They could they could frame any one of us and say, well, we have you on camera, and I'd be like, this is a fucking scary time, and they're going to make arguments. Well, that's why we need to implant digital chip IDs right into your forehead, so we know that it's really you. So we know we it's you with... for sure. Yeah, I know that's right. They're gonna they're gonna push this garbage down our throat somehow. We but are, uh, we are heading barreling towards the Blade Runner
0: reality, it seems. <laughs> barreling,
1: which which is in one of my top ten favorite movies of all oh time, by the way. Both of yeah. Them. The sequel with Ryan Gosling was awesome, too. I thought so, too. I was set up to hate it, and I was like, wow, they really did a great job yeah. with that. knocked
0: it out of the park. One of my favorite mm-hmm. one of my favorite sci-fi movies are so good recently. But, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's just, God, movies, if, if they're, especially about the political message thing. There are a lot of movies I think it fits well into, like Star Wars. Like you have a Star Wars cup, and yeah. I am a thunderous Star Wars fan. It's kind of just baked into Star Wars like the whole, like a lot of the bigger messages. But I think a lot of people have lost the plot in the sense that movies are supposed to entertain people.
1: Yeah. Right. It's a story. I mean, but even to your point though, like look at the politics of star Wars, you know, you had the empire and you had the rebels and, and there was the underdog fighting the big guys. It was fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't get so much into the modern political messages and, and to be honest, I don't give a shit about any of those modern political me- messages. You and I hear this every single day on Facebook, every fucking day on Instagram, every day on whatever other social... I mean, who wants to hear it anymore? Everybody knows everybody's opinions. Everybody knows what they're supposed to say. I definitely don't need Hollywood to shove it down my throat. What I want Hollywood to do is do like what Tarantino did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He made me disappear from my life for two and a half hours Yeah, and get enthralled in this super weird story about, you know, these, about this struggling actor, not, you know, this kind of has been or about to be has been actor and Charlie Manson, I was like, nah. that's what I want to have happen. And that's the magic of the art. And that's where I think a lot of these guys are just fucking losing it. They're like, Well, you know, we're gonna, we got to go for the cash grab. So we're going to masturbate everybody on their political <laughs> opinions. And you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna jerk them off, and then they're gonna pay us our $30. And then we'll make a gazillion dollars, and I just don't think that's that that artistic. And the same goes for painting, by the way. I know a lot of painting painters who they're hyper-politicized with modern political messages. And I go, cool, you know, if you're going to do that, cool. I don't find it that interesting, though. You know, I just don't think it's that fascinating. I like watching guys like, you know, like one of the old greats in the abstract art world is Gerhard Richter. And, you know, if you ever watch the guy work, he's doing abstract art. but And I'm not a huge abstract art fan. I do like some of them like him but he was just doing weird shit at the time like where nobody was doing. He takes these big scrapers and scrapes paintings and plays with drying processes. And then there's another huge scraper. And then when you see his work in person, you're like, wow, that's pretty rad. And it was just different at the time. And And even Andy Warhol, who, you know, the biggest pop artist of all time, you know, doing things like doing Mao and putting gold dust on his pieces. And it was just, it was different, you know, and it wasn't... It wasn't, it the wasn't same all same stuff, in your... yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't like, oh, what's, what is the news telling us to think right now? And I'm going to paint that because hopefully I can jump on the bandwagon of what everybody thinks and they're going to buy this. I mean, I think that is the sloppiest, sloppiest way to do art. Ten years from now, the political opinions could be completely reversed and then you look like a hack. Yeah. Right? Or it's going to look so passe, like... Um, You know, there there was a funny, um, there was a funny thing I saw. It was a board game thing. It was a board game cover from like 1950, and it says "fun for the whole family" on it. This was going around on Facebook, and it shows the dad and the two sons playing the board game, and then the mom and the daughter are in the kitchen doing the dishes. I assure you, not this is this is on the cover of the fucking board game. Fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family, and look how ridiculous that looks now. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people are going to run into that if they, they niche out in that, but ultimately if they're into that and that fulfills them, then that's great. That's I think a senior importance, but not fulfilling to me uh, by any stretch. No,
0: I, I agree with you 100%. I think there's a, I I think it's interesting that you say that there are even people in like the painting world, the artistic world who Mm. follow
1: trends and try to, you know, chase the money and, Oh, big time. Like when when the whole uh, Trump hate campaign came, you know, there were so many artists that jumped on that bad wagon. Let me show you how much I hate Trump. Like, great. You hate Trump. Nobody fucking cares. I'm certainly not going to put a piece of Trump hate in my house for everybody to see. You know, the same would go for Biden haters like, oh, now I'm doing all this Biden hate stuff and Biden with dementia or whatever the, the modern phrase is for the right somebody going to buy that piece of art for their house forever? You know what I mean? Is that going to be a collector piece? I just, you know, does it make a statement that I suppose so? You know, there's an old famous art piece from 20, 25 years ago. I think it was a Chicago artist too, but um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. It was a politician, old politician, maybe a judge. I think his name is Harold Washington. But he did a picture of him in lingerie right? Ooh. And that made that made the news in Chicago. Now, I don't remember who the fuck that guy is. And I doubt that anybody else does either. Probably I don't even not. Know if that piece of art, probably not. Have you ever heard of this guy? I think his name was Harold Washington. You ever heard of this guy? No, I have no idea who he is. See what I mean? Like, it doesn't fucking mean anything. You you know, but then there's going to be um, like artists like Lichtenstein, or like Jackson Pollock. They're timeless. Yeah. Right. Jackson Pollock wasn't sitting there going like, "Ah, well, you know, everybody's hating on Nixon right now, so I'll do a <laughs> Nixon." You know what I mean? Make, like he's not
0: doing that. I'll do me a Watergate piece. That'll
1: yeah. That'll I'm, really, I'm gonna do a, right. <laughs> I'll do a Watergate piece. That'll really get the people going. Yeah, exactly. He just, you know, Pollock did Pollock, and you know, he just he just continued on doing his thing, and that that was the persistency, and that became timeless, and so. And I think ultimately every artist would like to be timeless, but again, it has to come from a point of integrity, like the best shows that you and I are talking about now, the best shows or movies or even even music. Like there's kids now, like my buddy's kid is 15, jamming to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I mean, Led Zeppelin was old when I was in high school. Yeah, we thought they were geezers. You're right, right man. Those are some
0: elderly. Jam- People still jam Zeppelin. Zeppelin's a great They band. still
1: jam to Zeppelin. And was, Je- was Zeppelin doing all these, you know, were they pandering to the political left or right? No way. You know, I'm sure they had opinions they were putting into their songs, but well,
0: that was they were like just
1: making wonderful music.
0: It was like when people got on to Rage Against the Machine and they said that Rage Against the Machine was too political. And I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me?
1: Mm-hmm. Rage
0: Against the Machine is too political? Mm-hmm. I'm like, have you all been listening to any of their music for the last three decades?
1: I know. There's there's a great clip that I just saw circulating um that was it was a they were playing on this uh this news show, you know, kind of like a little clip of them, you know, here's rage against the machine and this is probably like 1996 and they said but apparently they had promised the news show they won't swear. But then it comes up to the point of the song where it's like and he goes like this. Fuck you, I won't do what you told me. And he keeps repeating it over and over. But he does double middle fingers. And I was like, oh, these guys are so funny. And then the news clip cuts off right there because they're like, oh, they promised us they wouldn't do that. And even they were like, fuck that. We're not doing that. We're doing Rage. Yeah, And Rage has become a timeless band. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite Rage story is when
0: they were on, the last time they were on SNL, they were ever allowed on SNL, was uh, Lauren Michaels. For people who don't know, he books everything. He, he runs Saturday Night Live. He told them, do not fly – this was during the Iraq War around that time. He said, do Mm -hmm. not fly the American flag upside down. Or i will kick you off this fucking show and of course rage being rage the first thing they did was unfurl upside down american flags before they played their set and they have never been back on saturday night live <laughs> never. and i'm just that's like hey so i'm like god that sucks but that's such a you know i mean that's such an authentic authentic move of theirs and that's It's the one thing that seems like it's true throughout all artistic endeavors: is authenticity is such the key to anything you do. You
1: said it, dude. You said it. Authenticity. Be yourself. Do your thing. You know, and and um, you know, there's one artist I forget her name, but she paints pretty grotesque shit. You know, and she's she's. I'm sure. I mean, she kind of does the whole feminist movement thing. Yeah, and she's so fucking talented at what she does, and it's again, it's kind of grotesque, but she's she's getting really famous. I'm sure she's selling a ton of work. And, and her audience is probably more feminist based. But that's authentic. See what I mean? Yeah. Like, would it would I say with the authenticity of her work? I would not say that she was just jumping on a bandwagon. She was kind of like, you know, in her movement, she is the rage against the machine. She she's hardcore into it. You know what I mean? it's not just pandering to people. Yeah. She's not doing it for you, know, you can perceive that authenticity of, of what she's doing in her art for sure.
0: Well, it's just uh, – yeah, you can perceive. I, I think most adults are pretty good – have pretty good bullshit detectors. They're pretty good at sensing whether or not a person is being genuine with them. Especially yeah, I the, think so too. Especially anymore in their entertainers. I think it used to be harder, but now you are, there's just so much content people put out that it is – it's so hard to not be yourself for that long that I feel like these people, like it's almost impossible anymore to be f- like fake like that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Like one of the things, again, I'm really into is these paranormal things. And, and it's funny. Cause for, if I take an afternoon nap, I'll put on ghost shows like slapped ham on YouTube. Like people are like, <laughs> how the fuck do you sleep to that? I go, I don't know. I just enjoy listening to these creepy paranormal things that it, it puts me to sleep. But some of these videos, you can tell when they're like legit and fake on your own bullshit meter it's almost like people have like this offense authenticity meter that's how you can talk to somebody and you can tell like oh they're just being polite or they're not listening but they're nodding you know it's that that's that authenticity meter it's it's no different than any art piece that authenticity meter or bullshit meter whatever you want to call it you'll pick it up and there's an artist, uh, a very famous artist who I won't name either, but because I'm going to talk about somebody else. Um <laughs> I love his shit and his stuff is selling. I mean, I'm sure the cheapest stuff he sells is a half a million dollars per oh, painting. Oh, okay? my gosh. Yeah, he's very much a blue chip guy, but I know a guy locally who is a complete rip off artist of him and he's good. Technically, he's good. OK, he's got his techniques down. He knows he does all the same shit, but it just doesn't fucking feel the same. Yeah. You know, you, you can just tell like you're just ripping off this other guy. So, you know, and his stuff, I'm, I don't even know if it sells or not, but it's the the true factor really comes through. And that's, you know, with like my art, for example, that's kind of what I put in there. Like, you know, like this guy here, if you ever see this in person, it's got a personality, dude. It's almost like somebody you've met, you know, he he yeah. stares at you in a way. Oh, it's haunting. But that's kind of it's almost haunting, but it's almost pleasant. It's weird. Yeah, he, he kind of.
0: It's not haunting in a bad way. Not like I'm like spooked, but I'm just like God. I've seen that somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's dark. It's a little haunting. I mean, I've, I'm kind of using what they call this chiaroscuro lighting, where it's just one light source and it's dark and light and you know. I mean, um, and it is a little bit dark and haunting and horror based. But what tends to happen when you paint with these people, they they tend to develop a personality through the the time that you're painting it, and that authenticity of me doing that with that is eventually communicated it out. And, you know, it's like this one here, I mean, this one's very far from being done. But this chick to me already is hilarious. I mean, I don't even know what she's doing yet. I just know that she's going to be a complete and utter goofball. And she makes me laugh already. And she's going to have this grotesque tit right here and her dog, her dog's even funnier than she is. So these things start to develop out. And if somebody was going to go try to rip that stuff off and do a similar thing, well, their tactics and techniques may be way better than mine, but that's not what they're—that's not what they're going to be painting. They're going to be trying to rip off me. Well, what they're trying to rip off is my development of that character and the realism that I'm putting in, the authenticity that I'm putting in. And it's like anybody that tries to do like a, a Tarantino movie. You know, we've all seen these Tarantino ripoff movies. Oh or, my god! Um, there was a remember when the Matrix came out; it was revolutionary in sci-fi. And then you had and 80, it was a thousand great- Matrix ripoffs. And they all sucked. Even the even the sequels to The Matrix sucked. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, I will watch them all just to kind of have finality on the whole story over and over. But everybody tried to do a Matrix ripoff and it just didn't have the it factor that the Wachowskis put into it, which I guess aren't the Wachowski brothers. I guess they're the Wachowski sisters now. Yeah. It used to be the Wachowski brothers. So but the authenticity factor is just is just not there. And it's probably, you know, over and over, as me and you keep talking about that, that would be something that we could tell any young artist, author, or movie director or actor, like, you got to be... You have to be yourself. Um, I mean, well... you got to be yourself.
0: Besides man. actors, you guys, I, the actual exact opposite of your job is to not be yourself. But, you know.
1: <laughs> but you know what, though? Like, think about it. Like, think about, like, Daniel Day-Lewis or something like that in a movie. And, or you know, like uh, DiCaprio, who I think is really talented, you know. They are being authentic, but authentically somebody else. Yeah. You know, I heard a story about Heath Ledger when he did the Batman uh, Joker role. That, and I don't know if this is true or not. This is just the story. But I heard that he had locked himself in a room for a month, solitary, to, de- to get, really get his persona developed. Yeah, it was... And that's pretty that's pretty legit he
0: did that and i believe Joaquin phoenix like disconnected himself from like pretty much everybody he's close with to, for the same kind of yeah. thing like to kind of get himself into a which seems dangerous it seemed like as someone who's struggled with mental health before it's it seems like a dangerous thing to have
1: to do yeah but it could be cool too like um not that I, not that I support you know doing drugs and all this stuff, but what's that one kid's name? Um, Shia Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, or as they say. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. That's how. They, no, how do how do you say his name? LaBeouf or LaBeouf? I, don't, I think it's the kid La... from freaking Indiana Jones, yeah, Even Stevens. Yeah, that <laughs> guy. He was. I watched an interview with him where i didn't know what that kid was doing career-wise you know i just thought he was going to be some new kid on the block but he's he's dispersed himself into a lot of really interesting projects and become pretty legit but he was talking about how um you know he was telling his parents or his mom or something that he was taking acid to learn what acid was like for a movie role you know and like what it was like to be a, a stoner and a druggie and all that kind of shit you know and that's commitment to the craft, I suppose. And, and and he played it off. He did the role pretty well. And, and I think that gets into a, a lot of um, authenticity because you and I can watch certain actors do a role and you're just like, oh, I can't even watch these guys. And then some of them are so in character where you don't even notice they're acting. They're just the character and you're watching the movie. Those are the best actors, in my opinion. Yeah. You don't even know they're acting. They're just part of the movie and that's how good they are. Yeah, those are the best people. Is when you just they fall completely into the role. Hmm. Yeah, those are the most talented guys by far. Then there's the overact. I love the overactor. You know, that's what I mean? the best. Those are the best. Yeah, they're, it's almost like they come into the scene like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look at me! Look at me! And you're like, <laughs> no, I'm. I don't know how much talent that takes to overact, but maybe more than that, I think. I don't know.
0: You're just like, oh, I'm looking,
1: sir. Probably not the way that you want me to, but I am looking. I promise. We're all. That's right. Yeah, we're all paying attention,
0: bud. Oh God. I mean, yeah. I just feel like feel like you have a great sense for. I'm interested in your art now. Obviously, I've always been interested in the art ever since somebody suggested me to you. But feel like you have a great sense of who you are. So, what kind of art? What would you describe your artistic style and your kind of influences, like on your personal style? Like who? would you, obviously you, you know, all of your paintings come from your personality and your mind and your and yourself, but who would you say like influenced you or your classical influences? Well,
1: I mean, you know, in terms of painters, you know, I always like to cite Titian and Caravaggio and even John Singer Sargent and all the old greats and all the old masters like that because they just they have so much drama with Rembrandt I and mean, there's so much drama in what these guys do and they're, you know, masters and, you know, not that my style is anywhere near like you know, any of the impressionists or anything like that. But, you know, like Monet, if you ever see anything, any of his stuff in person, you know, if you ever see his cathedral paintings, I mean, you just fucking, are, you're blown away. So things like that impact me and that I want to have that impact in my way. Um, but even in different art forms, of course, different art forms impact you. Like I, you know, I'm a huge horror fan and sci-fi fan and uh, Clive Barker to me was one of the most creative horror movie creators of all time because he was just doing stuff that was so fucking out there it wasn't just a monster movie it just it wasn't just a scare movie or a slasher or a gore fest it was really creative stuff like nightbreed and hellraiser you know it's really i think stuff that he's the most known for that kind of stuff impacted me because it showed how Creative you could get, and how out of the 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 bounds you could get in in a genre, and still have it be in that genre and enjoyed by that genre. You know, like how many people want to go see another Freddy Krueger movie? Well, there's probably a lot. And he was like, "Fuck this! I'm not doing another Freddy movie or another Jason movie. I don't want that." And I know the industry tried to turn, like, for example, Pinhead into that. But if you watch his first two movies, I mean, they were just really creative stories, and then. And then whoever they turned the movies over to from part three through 10 or whatever they're on now, they're all terrible. But I still watch them out of loyalty, but they're all terrible. So, I mean, I'd say that had a big impact on me. Music, obviously, has had a big impact on me. Everything from Glenn Danzig and Pumpkins and Corgan to Tom York and Radiohead to uh, Meshuggah, I mean, I'm all over the place. All this stuff sort of mixes in and influences even come from all of the stuff that I'm into, like the paranormal and... You know all all these you know paranormal stars and ufo stars this it kind of mixes into what i just really love about all that which is you you can take a person and you know like bob lazar is an old ufo icon you know who's building air was building ufos or reverse engineering ufos in the 80s you know you can you can go watch a documentary with him or an interview on youtube he's a very unassuming guy and all of a sudden, he's stealing your attention. Like, you're just listening to this guy. You're not paying attention to your meals. You're not paying attention to the fact that you have to do the dishes or sweep the floors or that you had work done. You are enthralled by this guy's story. And that even that can influence what I do as an artist. Because when, when somebody comes up to my work, you know, like this piece here, you can't really see it here. You can go see it on my website or on Instagram. People see that, and they are just enthralled. And that's really the goal that I have with every single piece that I do. Some I think I personally achieve it more than others. Some I'm surprised with how enthralled people are by it because I'm not that enthralled by it, you know what I mean? So sometimes you have to turn your own meter off and just let the audience do the work. But I think you can do that in anything. You can do that with a story. You can do that with, um, you know, I know I know flower artists who do these amazing, immense flower things, and people come in and they're like, oh, my God. This is right. incredible. It's incredible. That's right. So it's just that effect that I really love to try to create.
0: Try to just bring, suck people in, huh? Yeah. Well, I have some conversational things I wanted to bring to you. Well, I bring this with everybody that comes on the show real quick. Some would you rathers, if you will. Sure. That I figure we could rattle through because we've, we've been through a lot of the art stuff. And you covered a lot of the business questions I had. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, so this is always an interesting one to me because I feel like everybody has the same answer, but I always like to hear their reasoning, which is would you rather be lost at sea or in the woods? In the woods. See, everyone <laughs> says in the woods. Everyone. Well, Every... in the
1: woods, the worst thing you got to deal with is maybe coyotes and bears and Bigfoot. And uh, in the in the sea, it's this giant black hole, and that's terrifying.
0: I agree 100%. Are you a Bigfoot guy?
1: Oh, yeah. See, me too. My I I, I love Bigfoot. As a matter of fact, I hate to tell you this, but I just went to the Bigfoot Museum with a gal um, three days ago in Georgia, and it was hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm very much into that stuff. I think that stuff is fascinating and, and fun.
0: My grandmother told me a story about when she lived, I believe, in Oregon with her great Dane, and then she heard a sound that she could not explain, like, and she was like, and like this dog was not afraid of anything. She's like, I watched this dog kill coyotes. I watched this dog run off bears. Said, and this dog hid under my bed. She's like, I'm convinced it was it was Sasquatch. And I, ever since then, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I believe you, Grandma. Yep. It's Bigfoot. Bigfoot's out there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Go go. Uh, some of the most the most great the greatest stories that I can think of are like this. Go look up the Sierra Sounds. That one will fuck with your head. Oh, my God. You ever heard the Sierra Sounds?
0: You know, people talk a lot of shit about, like, Bigfoot and Sasquatch, but if you ever listen to some of the noises people have captured looking for this thing, it's fucking...
1: They're incredible. Horrifying. Dude, the Sierra Sounds is by far... When I first heard that, I mean, even right now, look at it, my hair is standing up, because it's, like, listening. They call it samurai chatter, and these things are talking back and forth, and this guy's recording them. It's, like, listening to these... Oh my it's like God. listening to an old Japanese movie or something. And you're like, what the fuck is that? That sounds
0: fascinating.
1: And I'm going to, I feel like I'm falling into Yeah, a Sierra hole. sounds. It's one of those things where once you hear it, you go, you go, you, you deep dive down some rabbit holes after that. That one. sounds yeah. great. I'm
0: such a big, so good conspiracy guy on stuff like that. Like, you're, you're like UFOs. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. I'm big into UFOs. Beginning to Sasquatch. Uh would you rather travel into the past or into the future? Now there's no discriminant mm. time thing. Everyone always asks me is like how far into the past, how far into the future. How as far as you want, but you have to pick one. Either the past or the future.
1: I would probably I would probably go into the future because I've lived the past and I love the past and I reminisce and nostalgia the past like everybody else, but but I don't regret the past either. I think a lot of people that travel into the past sometimes have a lot of regrets and want to go back and change things. And I don't, you know, I'm pretty happy with, you know, the good times and the bad and how it's developed me as a person. So I think I'd probably want to go into the future to see how rapid things are progressing. Like the last hundred years, the rapidity of technological progression has just been insane and it keeps snowballing faster and faster. And I'd like to see, you know, a hundred years from now, do me and you have robot bodies and shit? You know, yeah, like have a, we have we gone have we gone that route? Are we full skynet up in this bitch yet? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Do we go into the future and it's just a leveled fucking nuke bomb from skynet? Exactly. Yeah. There's just a tra- <laughs> there's just a terminator waiting on you. Yeah, or it could be super cool, and we could all be like Guardians of the Galaxy. We've all turned into space pirates with cool crews of aliens. That would you know? be great. That's my. Oh, dream. Would, that's the ideal career for me. Is. Space pirating in a ship full of monsters, yep. and we're all buddies. The best career I could ever, ever think since of. I saw Han Solo, I'm just like my ideal career is smuggle
0: is space smuggler with yeah, a that's bear like a space smuggler with a bear friend. <laughs> totally. That's what I want. Yep, Han Solo. is yeah, you both out here living the dream. Harrison Ford. Which, by the way, that's how much of an impact that, that movie had on my life. I have. I wish I brought him in here. I didn't know you were going to be such a big Star Wars guy. I have two full recreation. Like I have a clone trooper helmet. And a Boba Fett helmet that I just got for, Ooh, wow. that my fiance bought for me. She like she did research and everything. Even asked like other nerds like it was like, "Hey, about like the bullet hole in his helmet to make sure that it mm-hmm. was in there." And I was like, "Look at you, doing research." Yeah, somebody she, knew.
1: Somebody knew. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Somebody knew it was up. Yeah. I I even you know I'm I'm you know I'm a Star Wars guy and I even. I know a lot of Star Wars heads, they, they hate all the new stuff. I liked all of them. And some I liked more than others. Like Han Solo, the, or the Solo movie, was probably one of the worst Star Wars movies I've ever seen. But I still liked it. I, you know, I haven't it's, seen... It's still the, the new, universe. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the new one. Here's the thing. I...
0: When I was young, because I, I, I was, you know, I'm 26, so I'm still a young fella. That's what everyone tells me, at least. doesn't feel that way. But... I was you know in my a very young kid when I first saw the prequels the ones that came out about Anakin and I loved them when I was a kid now that I've gotten older I've kind of watched them those are probably my least favorite ones but those are my least favorite ones because as much as I love George yeah his dialogue is so bad
1: <laughs> and he had and yeah. like
0: everyone says it like there's interviews with Harrison Ford where he's like the dialogue is kind of ropey but it's clear when you watch the first movies that he had a lot of help. There were a lot of people that he could yeah. – he wasn't George Lucas yet, and there are people that could tell him, like, no, don't do not do that.
1: Yeah. Hey, listen, I've got a guy – I hate to do this because you're going to have to edit this part out, but I've got a guy literally walking into my place right now. Oh, Lord. Who I thought we'd be done before 5. He's my 5 o'clock. So I've got a guy coming here to see some stuff right now, so I'm going to have to end off and um, – I hate to do that like that in a show where you're going to have to clip this part of me talking out. Oh, you're good because I usually try to make them seamless. But he's he's texting me right now, and I got to picture my door code. Hang Hang on one second. You're fine. Sorry about that. Totally apologize about that. Okay, so you're going to have to clip that whole part out, and then we're going to have to do a, a wrap. And I'm happy to come back because you're a super fun guy to talk to. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, and it would be fun to get a, a couple of other guys. We could all just dork out on, as a show, like three or four of us, and we just t- totally dork out on hey, what we've been I, doing. I'm
0: super big in on that, uh, but I was going to mm-hmm. say, if you need to close out, I was, all I was going to ask you is where can people find you and your art? Mr. Daniel yeah, you York. can
1: at, you can uh, mostly I uh, hang out on Instagram with at Daniel Matthew York and that's Matthew with two T's, um, and then just go to my website DanielMatthewYork.com, and you'll see all my stuff there, contact information and all that stuff. And where do people find you? Uh, you can find me. Well, you can find my show
0: at the Planet Comedy on Facebook and Instagram at the PCP Gang on Twitter. You can find if you're looking to follow me personally on like Twitter. It's, I believe, at Stoplight Jesus on Twitter, which is that's my. Oh, I love uh,
1: that. Stoplight Jesus. Yeah,
0: that's my gaming handle on Xbox as well. And then it's just at Kyle Richie. Uh, I believe it's at Kyle Richie56 on Instagram, Kyle Richie on Facebook, and pretty much everywhere else. Uh, I just got a YouTube channel for this show and some stuff I want to do. I'm going to try to review some movies and TV shows on that. And also, uh, one of my favorite ideas that I've ever had is take movies that I've watched that I think had good premises and didn't really do well with them and try to rewrite them and see if I can make them better because I'm a smart ass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the whole fan fiction
0: thing, yeah. Yeah. But uh, That's cool. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show. You were a great guest. I would love to have you back
1: sometime soon. Yeah, I'd love to come back, Kyle. Lots of fun. I mean, clearly you and I I could talk for a long time with no problem. Oh, yeah. Uh, But
0: good luck with uh, whatever you got going on, your future endeavors, obviously, sir. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you guys for listening to the Planet Comedy Podcast. Uh, I'm Kyle Ritchie, your host. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, basically anywhere you get your audio content like i said earlier on the show uh, find us on instagram facebook that the planet comedy the pcp gang on twitter and thank you guys for listening have a wonderful rest of your day or night peace love and trevor